This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello, I'm Carmen Pate, your host for today's podcast. As we continue our series on the uniqueness of Christ, we recall from our last two programs His unique reality in all eternity, Christ's unique relationship to God the Father, the equality that He claimed, and the power and the authority that are Christ. Today, we're going to consider Christ's unique request. Now, you may be surprised that it comes with the ordinance of communion. Mark Ray is back with us to explain. Mark is Vice President of Community Development here at Grace and the Executive Director of the Grace Center for Spiritual Development. Mark holds a Master of Biblical Studies from Dallas Theological Seminary and a Master of Divinity from Grace School of Theology. He has served churches as an associate pastor and as a lead pastor, and he served as COO of a major evangelistic ministry. Let's listen now as Mark explains Christ's unique request. Well, we're going to continue the series that we started a number of weeks ago on what makes Christ unique. What makes Christ unique? A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Jesus' unique reality, the fact that Jesus is the one who existed before time, he existed uniquely in time, and he's been exalted for all time. The only one that can ever claim pre-existence as someone who walked the face of this earth. Jesus' unique reality, that thing that sets him apart from anybody else, that he walked this earth in a specific time, but he was here and existed before anything came into existence here. We then looked at Jesus' unique relationship, the relationship he has with God, and that is that God calls him son and he calls God the father, that he claimed to be God and backed it up, and that he also then took upon himself God's power and authority. No one else has ever claimed to do that. No one else has ever claimed to do that and backed it up by how he lived his life. Today, we want to look at a very specific aspect of this, and it's what I call Jesus' unique request. He's the only one who's ever requested what we've come here to do today. 2,000 years ago in the upper room, he began this request with the disciples when he said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat. He said, this is the cup, my blood, shed for you. Take it and drink. Whatever, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. It was a very specific request for a very specific reason. So this morning, as we come to participate in communion together, we're going to look at the body of Christ together. And then we're going to participate in the body of Christ together. And then we're going to worship as the body of Christ together. Then we're going to take a look at the blood of Christ and we're going to participate in the blood of Christ together. And then we're going to worship as the body of Christ, celebrating the blood of Christ. Finally, we're going to look at a very quick look at the word remembrance and why he asks us to remember this. And we'll conclude by worshiping together that remembrance as we celebrate him. Sound like a good deal? Really? It's a good deal. Let me start then with the body of Christ. 
his physical body. And I want to read for you out of the prophet Isaiah. This is one of the toughest passages simply because of what it says about the body of Christ, the body of Jesus Christ. This is part of the suffering servant passage out of Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3. The prophet writes, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Did you notice there the statements made specifically about what happened to the physical body of Jesus Christ? Isaiah 52 says that he was marred beyond any recognition. He was beaten beyond recognition. Isaiah 53 when we move into this suffering servant section, Isaiah 53 verse 3 says that he was like one from whom men hide their face. Imagine the king of kings and the Lord of lords beaten so badly that people hide their faces from him. 53.5 says he was pierced, crushed, and scourged. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was broken. 53.7 says he was oppressed and afflicted, and 53.8 and 9 says he was finally killed. His body physically put to death. All of this happened to the physical body of Jesus, and the question is, why? Why was this done? Now, the prophet Isaiah writes this hundreds of years before it happened, so Christ is fulfilling this prophetic statement, and he says the, the prophet Isaiah says in verse 11, this is why it was done. 53.11, he states this, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. It satisfied the Lord, the work that Christ did, this beating and scourging and whipping and crushing and eventually dying of the physical body, satisfied the Lord. And then it says, by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Why did Jesus Christ have to go to the cross? Why did he have to be beaten? Why did he have to be scourged? Why did he have to be whipped? Why did he have to eventually die? Isaiah 53.11 gives us that answer, and it's twofold. First, he says, so that we could be justified. I love the children's definition of that. If you've never heard it, justified means just as if I'd never sinned. 
And it's got a great ring to it, just as if I'd never sinned. But you know what? That little definition doesn't go far enough because what Jesus actually did by his body being broken for you and me, for those who trust in Jesus, we're actually made perfect. Not just as if we'd never sinned, but positionally in Christ, we're made perfect. So that when God looks at us, he sees his son. But the second reason is so that the iniquities of our sin would be laid upon his shoulders, that he would justify, he would make us just as if we'd never sinned. And those who believe in that, the many who believe in that, would be made that way by the fact that our sins were laid on his body, that his body absorbed, his body, as Paul says, he literally became sin for us. The body of Christ, crushed, whipped, beaten, broken so that we would have access to God the Father. You see, the physical fact is our sin creates a barrier between us and God, right? Our sin put up a barrier between us and God. And what Jesus did when his flesh was torn was he physically tore apart that barrier between us and God. I want you to hear what Max Lucado says in his book, He Chose the Nails. I love the way he puts this. He says, Jesus hasn't left us with an unapproachable God. Yes, God is holy. Yes, we're sinful. But yes, 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 Jesus is our mediator. He quotes 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, is not a mediator one who goes between? Wasn't Jesus the curtain between us and God? And wasn't his flesh torn, his body broken? Lucado goes on and says, it's as if the hands of heaven had been gripping the veil, waiting for this moment. And keep in mind the size of the curtain. The size of this veil was 60 feet tall and 30 feet wide. In one instant, it was whole. And in the next, it was ripped from top to bottom. No delay, no hesitation. What did the torn curtain mean? Well, to the Jews, it meant this. It meant no more barrier between them and the Holy of Holies, where only the priest could go. It meant no more priests to go between them and God, no more animal sacrifices to atone for their sins. And for us, it means that we are welcome to enter the very presence of God any day, any time. God has removed the barrier that separates us from him through the work in the body of his son, Jesus Christ. The barrier of sin is down. He's torn down the curtain through the broken body of Jesus Christ. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil or the curtain that is his flesh or his body that he created a new way for us. He inaugurated a new way for us in a new relationship with God through the breaking of his body, the tearing of the veil. My wife and I had an opportunity a number of years ago when we were in Dallas to go to the King Tut exhibit. You ever seen the King Tut exhibit? Fantastic exhibit. The boy king. And as I looked through the King Tut exhibit, it was an amazing thing to, to, to view the fact that every time King Tut was on display, it was a statue, this, this regal statue from top to bottom. 
And he was always standing with implements of power and strength in his hands. He was either standing straight like this, or he was standing with the, the one right foot, the foot of power, showing forward. He was always standing firm. He was always regal. That's the way kings were presented. That's the way kings were remembered. But Jesus tells us, this is the way I want you to remember me. I want you to look at a picture that Michelangelo created called the Pieta. It's one of the most beautiful sculptures you will ever see carved out of stone. And this is the way Jesus says to remember him. We're to remember him in his broken body. Listen to how Ken Geyer talks about him in Shape by the Cross. He says, what should Jesus look like? Like Michelangelo's David, a warrior, or Moses, the lawgiver, or Jesus, the teacher, the healer, the counselor, the prophet, the worker of signs and wonders? No. Jesus asks us to remember him as Jesus, the Savior. The Jesus who emptied himself. The Jesus who gave up his place in heaven. The Jesus who gave up his powers of deity and privileges of royalty. The Jesus who gave up his reputation The Jesus who gave up his seat of honor to become a servant. The Jesus who gave his love, his understanding, his compassion, his forgiveness. The Jesus who gave and gave and gave and gave until there was no more to give except his life. And then he gave that too. Make no mistake, when he returns, we're going to see a completely different Jesus. But the Jesus he asks us to remember right now is the Jesus who is the Savior, the one whose body was broken for you and for me. Now, there's a fascinating thing about this, and that is the body of Christ was broken so that the body of Christ could be birthed. The ugliness of Jesus and his body breaking The crushing and the scourging of the body of Christ was done so that this body of Christ could be created. We are a product, Midland Bible Church, we are a product of the fact that Jesus went to the cross and his body was broken on our behalf, not just individually, but corporately for the church. We are the body of Christ. And it fascinates me that Jesus, by his broken body, opened the door for us to have access to God the Father so that this church, this body, this communion, this fellowship could be created for us today. Do you realize that if the body of Christ had not been broken, we're not here. This church doesn't exist. So by virtue of Jesus, the Savior, Midland Bible Church is here as the body of Christ. Listen to Eugene Peterson in his version of Hebrews 10. He says, so friends, we can now without hesitation walk right up to God, into the holy place. Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice, acting as our priest before God. The curtain into God's presence is his body. The curtain is the presence. The curtain of Jesus opens the door to the presence of of God. When the writer of Hebrews talks about it, he says, collectively, our. Peterson says, friends. 
The collective nature of what Jesus did is what brings us together because we have a common bond in the fact that Jesus broke his body for you and for me, and that's what brings us together. The beauty of the body of Christ there is seen in the beauty of the body of Christ here. Let me say that again. The beauty of the body of Christ there is seen in the beauty of the body of Christ here. And it's a beautiful thing to witness the body of Christ. Why are you here today? Yes, because we have friends here. Yes, because we have family here. Yes, because there's an incredible preacher in the pulpit. No, we are here today. I'm sorry, Lord, forgive that one. We are here today specifically because of the body of Christ broken for you and for me so that we can have this common bond together, so that we can be together with one accord. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10. We are hard pressed on every side yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. The body of Christ is the reflection, the image of the body of Christ. We were created in his image. And we're to reflect that image to the world, this selfless, sacrificial servant, but one that was engaged in life. I want you to listen again to Ken Geyer in Shaped by the Cross. He says, the small spinning planet that is my life is not the center of the solar system as I once imagined it and at times still imagine it. Jesus is the center. The axis of that center is the cross. The entire universe orbits around it. And when we align ourselves to that axis, to the cross, We are no longer drawn to live for ourselves, but for him. And in living for him, we begin putting others before ourselves the way he did. The beauty of the body of Christ is that he was crushed and beaten for us so that we could be Christ to the world. And by the way, he died so that we could bring life to a dying world through him. That's the image of Jesus in the Pieta. Here's another look at it, looking down on it. And you're going to see this body. That's the image of Jesus, the one who is crushed and beaten, the one who is broken for us so that we could carry out his image to the world. Isn't that an incredible sculpture? He did that when he was 24 years old. Took him two years working almost 24-7, 365, to the point of exhaustion. And it's been described as the most beautiful sculpture ever. It is the image of Jesus. And we carry that image in our body. We carry that image in our church. And I wonder, what does the church, what does the, the community, what does the world see in us? Do they see the body of Christ in us? The body of Christ that created the body of Christ. I'd like to ask the men to serve the bread, if you would, please. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. Father God, we give you thanks that in your divine effort, you sent your son and his body to be broken for us so that we might be the body of Christ to the world. We thank you for the chance to remember your son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done for us so that we might be the body of Christ. May we glorify you in that, in Jesus' name. Amen. When you think about blood, it's an interesting thing to ask, but when you think about blood, the blood is the thing in our body that carries the oxygen to all parts and pieces. The blood is the thing that, that breathes life into, into our bodies. In fact, if we have no blood in our bodies, there's no life, right? There's no life without the blood. When we think of things that have grown stale, we love to say things like, it needs new blood, bringing new freshness and new aliveness to something because the blood is there, making something new. Listen to Matthew 26 and Jesus in his words to the disciples in the upper room, and it says, then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. A new covenant is what Jesus said was inaugurated. This new covenant that was prophesied in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, this new covenant that was fulfilled in the blood of Jesus Christ when he went to the cross. This new covenant in which God said, I will write my law in your heart, meaning there will be a personal relationship with me the blood of Christ that draws us in closely into a relationship with the God of the universe. The blood that started back in the book of Genesis. If you remember Adam and Eve with their sin, what God had to do, they tried to cover up their sin with fig leaves. What God did was he sacrificed an innocent animal, shed blood for the first time to cover the sins of man. And down through the ages, the necessity to cover the sins of mankind was a blood sacrifice. That was the requirement of God until we get to Jesus Christ. When we get to him, we know in Hebrews 10, we hear he died once for all. It was a sacrifice once for all. That one time was the only sacrifice that was necessary to cover the sins of the world. And those who trust in him participate in that. This new covenant that was started 2,000 years ago in the inauguration of Jesus when he went to the cross, by the way, is something that's new and fresh every single day because of the work of Jesus Christ. We are forgiven as believers in Christ. We're forgiven every single day. That blood covers those sins every single day. It's new and fresh every single day. Jesus said, I inaugurate a new covenant in you. What comes out of Genesis that went through Abraham, through the nation of Israel, in through David, and ultimately into the new covenant that included us, is the fact that God said, I want 
a relationship with you, and it's going to come through the blood of my son, Jesus. So his blood was shed for us. Not just so that the door would be open through his flesh, but so that the intimacy of relationship with God would happen, that deep friendship with God would happen, that, that knowledge of Jesus that's so deep because we can experience him was made possible by the blood of Christ. So what does his blood cover? Well, let me read you a couple of passages out of the New Testament. Ephesians, Paul says in Ephesians 1.7, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Three things that Paul tells us. The first is that we have redemption. We have been redeemed. Literally, we have been bought back. That our sin put us into slavery and we had to be purchased out of that sin. Paul tells us in Romans, the wages of sin is death. We have, by what we have earned, we have earned death and that the blood of Christ purchased us out of death into new life. The first thing we have is we have redemption. The second thing we have is forgiveness of sins. That redemption comes and it comes new because of the forgiveness of sins because God saw fit to lay the iniquity, the sin of us all on his son. And by the shedding of that blood, one time forgiveness was covered. And then we experienced the richness of his grace. None of us deserved it. And yet God in his love for us, through his son, the blood that was shed, we have this relationship with him. Because God desired it. Ephesians 2.13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Our sin that separated us from God, we were far off, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, by that sacrifice, those who have trusted in him, it draws us near. Think about that for just a minute. We get to be near to the God of the universe. He's not this far off thing. Remember when Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he was saying, change your mind about where heaven is. It's here. It's right now. It's in me. And by his sacrifice, we not only have an open door, but we have a personal relationship with the God of the universe because he desires it. In Colossians 1.14, we're told, in whom in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He reiterates the point that we are redeemed by the blood of Christ because it covers sin. Friends, it's an amazing thing to think about that this blood that brings new life, brings new life into us who were at one time walking in death, walking in sin, and because his blood shed for us covers that sin, we have new life in Christ. Isn't that great news? Amen. New life in Jesus Christ. If I could ask the men to serve the cup. And while they're doing that, I just want you to think about, as you thought about the body of Christ, I want you to think about the blood of Christ and what it covers, that the blood of Christ has redeemed us, bought us back. The blood of Christ has brought us into a deep relationship. The blood of Christ is what has forgiven us those sins that keep us separated from God. Chris and Jenny are going to be singing nothing but the blood. And while you've got that cup in your hands, just reflect on that one thing.
In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let's take the cup together. Father, we give you thanks that in your incredible majesty you saw fit through your son to have his blood shed on our behalf, that forgiveness of sins would be a part of this, that redemption would be a part of this, that intimacy with you would be part of this, that deep fellowship with you would be part of this. We thank you that through the blood of Jesus, we have all of that. Your grace upon grace poured out on us. We give you great thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Pass your cups to the inside, if you would. So why, why do we serve communion regularly? Why do we do this on a regular basis? Why do we commune like this together? Why do we remember the body broken on our behalf and the blood shed on our behalf? What is Jesus wanting us to remember in this? Is it the way he preached? Is that what he wants us to remember? Is it the way he healed? Is it the way he confronted hypocrisy or the way he overturned the tables? Is it the way he fed 5,000? Is it the way he walked on water? Is it the way he cast out demons? I want you to listen again to the latter part of 2 Corinthians 4, verse 10. Paul tells us, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. See, Jesus wants us to remember his death because in that death is life. He wants us to remember his dying because in his dying, he teaches us so much about living. The closer we are to the cross, the closer we are to our true humanity, who we were created to be in the image of God himself, we were created. And the closer we are to him, the closer we are to exactly who we were meant to be, created in the image of God. The one that reflects the image of Jesus Christ. It's a reminder to us, to the church, that we are the image bearers of Jesus Christ to the world. That what he did for us in giving us new life was so that we can show that new life to a dying world. A world that he desperately wants to save, but he chooses to use us to do that. And so we are to remember constantly to keep in front of us constantly the body broken for us, the blood shed for us, so that we can remember who it is that we serve, what he did for us, so that we can serve a dying world by showing them him. But friends, there's one fascinating thing about communion, and the early church did this a lot, and I love the practice of this, and that is at the end of communion, we celebrate not just the fact that Christ's body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us, but that he is not still in the grave. Amen. 
We serve a risen Lord. He is resurrected. He is not dead. His body was broken. His blood was shed. But we are to remember that he is not dead. That he is alive and is the body of Christ. We're to celebrate that. And I want you to stand as we conclude communion this morning. Stand and celebrate with us the risen Savior. Thank you, Mark Ray, for the beautiful insight into the meaning of communion and its application to our lives. May we always remember what his death means to our lives. If this program or others in this series has been meaningful to you, would you please share it with friends? And for further insight, we're making available a study guide for the entire series on the uniqueness of Christ. You can get it free by simply downloading it at gsot.edu forward slash center. That's gsot.edu forward slash center. It's perfect for personal or small group study. We appreciate you joining us today. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.